Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, let's pray one more time, and then um, we're going to jump into the Word this morning. And so, Lord, thank you for your presence here in this room with us. God, thank you that you're healing, and you're encouraging, and you're moving in our midst. God, thank you that there is life and joy just in knowing you and walking with you. And so, Lord, as we, as we open up your Word this morning, God, I just pray it would come alive in our hearts. Lord, we want to have an encounter with you today. We want to hear what you want to say to us today. But God, we pray that this word would take root and it would produce something that's lasting. Lord, that we carry not only into this next week, but God, that it's, it's something that takes root in our lives. Lord, all these things we've been growing in throughout this year, Lord, as we're bringing this this discipleship journey to a close. God, it's not the end of the journey. It's really a launching off point. And so God, I pray that would be true of us as a church family, but God, it would be true of us individually or that we would hear your call to go and make disciples and that we would see in very real, tangible ways how we can cooperate with you in that, that we would tend our relationships well that we would live with purpose and intentionality to allow others to invest in our lives and to turn around and invest in the lives of others. God, may we do that in participation and cooperation with you and with your presence in our lives. And so would you equip us in that together this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, as I alluded to in my prayer, we're, you know, we're on the cusp of wrapping up a year-long journey. And I realize some of you have joined recently and some of you partway through the year. But this whole year, we've been on this journey together, um, learning about, about what it means to be a disciple, being equipped ourselves. But ultimately, the real purpose in this year is so that we could be equipped to turn around and invest in the lives of other people. And so during the month of December, we're going to be talking about being disciple makers. In fact, even a layer beyond that, learning how to make disciple makers. Investing in such a way that not only am I helping someone else grow, I'm, I'm helping them learn how to help others grow. That's how this thing carries forward. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. And so that's what we're going to be talking about throughout the course of this month. And so um, I just want to say a couple things right here at the top, and then we're going to look at a, a very specific relationship, a very specific dynamic in a few relationships this morning. Um, and so the first thing I just want to say to you guys is that it's, it's really easy in our Christian circles when we hear discipleship to think of it as like sort of this separate little category over here, like that's, that's a thing that maybe some Christians do. Or maybe one day I'll reach a point where I devote a little more time and energy and like I do this discipleship thing. And I just want to say to you, that's not God's heart. Like his heart is that 
discipleship is built into every Christian's life. That the very heartbeat of Christianity is to go and make disciples. Like I'm here because someone else took that seriously. In fact, lots of people did. Somewhere along the way, I don't know the list. I'm actually excited to discover it in heaven. But somewhere along the way, the people that invested in me and the folks that invested in them and the folks that invested in them, it goes all the way back to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Like we're sitting here because someone else took that call seriously. In fact, lots of people did. And so this is a primary calling for all Christians. So here's what I want to encourage you to think about, not only this morning as we dive into this topic, but kind of throughout this month. I just want to encourage you to kind of ponder this. I want you to consider what is your spiritual legacy? What's your spiritual legacy? Like there's lots of things we say and do that are meaningful and they're important. Small little things that happen like on a Tuesday afternoon, they are important. But like, what is your spiritual legacy? What's the thing that's really like leaving a mark? In other words, think about where your heart and focus is. Jesus told us like, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What do we treasure? I think ultimately we're called to treasure our walk with the Lord, but we're, we're called to treasure other people. People are eternal. We are eternal beings. What's my spiritual legacy? So here's a simple way to kind of think about that. Consider who the spiritual parents are in your life. It, it may be your, your actual parents, like your biological parents, it may be some others. Who are spiritual parents in your life? Consider that. Who's invested in you over time? Who still is? Who are your spiritual parents? And then begin to think about who are my spiritual children? Or if I've been doing this for a while, who are my spiritual grandchildren? Are there some people that I've invested in that I now see them turning around and investing in others? Who are my spiritual parents? Who are my spiritual children? Who are maybe my spiritual grandchildren? And what does it look like right now for me to tend that well? See, that'll, that'll catch all of us in there somewhere. For those of us who've been walking with the Lord faithfully for a long time and we've, we've been practicing discipleship, Lord, what does this look like after decades of walking with you like this? How do I love and invest well in some of these relationships? that have been a part of my life for a long time. For some of us, we might go, man, I, I'm like at the starting point. Like I can't even identify a real spiritual parent in my life. Great, jump into the game. Instead of worrying about not feeling equipped to go disciple, how about you position yourself to be discipled? Look around. The, the relationship's right here in your life and go, Lord, are there some people that could be a spiritual father or mother to me in my life right now? Let me seek them out. Ask them, do you have time to invest in me? Maybe they're already there and I just need to take more advantage of it. See, wherever we're at, we, we fit in here somewhere. And so I would encourage you to be prayerful about that. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. Instead of me kind of going, here's like the three key principles to making disciples. What I wanna do is look at a story. I wanna look at a story that unfolds in Acts. And so I wanna introduce you to a character named John Mark. John Mark. So the first encounter we, we have of John Mark, he just gets mentioned briefly um, early in Acts chapter 12. It's a really cool story on its own. Peter has been imprisoned. Herod is beginning to really uh, 
heavily persecute the church in Jerusalem. Um, you know, you know the brothers James and John, early followers of Jesus. James has just been killed by Herod, and he's now imprisoned Peter in order to garner um, the support of like the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And so Peter's in prison, and he has this angelic encounter where he gets rescued from prison in the middle of the night. In fact, he thinks he's just having a dream. And the angel ushers him all the way out of prison. He's standing in the streets of Jerusalem. He's like, oh, wait, I'm like really standing here right now. The place he goes is to John Mark's house. John Mark's mother, Mary, Peter goes to that house because it was a central hub or gathering point for believers in Jerusalem. So John Mark grew up in some form or fashion as a teenager, as a young man, as the church is being born. And so Peter is like a spiritual father in his life. Not only is Peter a spiritual father in his life, but both Paul, you guys familiar with the name Paul? Or throughout Acts, we see him as Saul and Paul. Don't be confused. It's the same person, Saul and Paul. And also Barnabas invest in John Mark's life. In fact, Barnabas is a cousin. He's related to John Mark. And so he's kind of an an older figure in his life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at John Mark, this young man who's being invested in by guys like Peter. And specifically, we're going to look at Paul and Barnabas investing in his life this morning. I just, we're going to kind of draw some things out of this story that might help uh, equip us in our journey of discipleship. And so we're going to now pick this up um, at the end of Acts, near the end of Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Um, Barnabas and Saul have come to Jerusalem from Antioch. Um, they've, they had been there for almost a year, kind of establishing a work there. And they've come back to Jerusalem in a part of some key conversations happening there. Um, and now we're going to pick it up in Acts 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned, that's to Antioch, from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So they come across this young man while they're there in Jerusalem. They're like, hey, buddy, come along this journey. Come be a part of what God is doing. Come work alongside of us. And they take him back with them to Antioch. And so now they return to their home base where they'd been doing ministry for about a year. And we're going to pick this up now in the very next chapter, Acts 13, verses 2 through 5. Watch what's taking place. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they're having a big prayer service. So John Mark is there, a part of this community in Antioch. Here's Paul and Barnabas who helped establish this church in Antioch. And now they're all worshiping and praying and seeking God together. Like, Lord, what do you want to do? We feel a sense of purpose. What do you want to do? And they believe the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I'm calling Paul and Barnabas to go. And so after this prayer and fasting, verse three, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews and they had John to assist them. I love how if, if we didn't pay attention, we could almost miss that this young man is even there, right? Like we've got this miraculous story of Peter that I briefly referenced 
in chapter 12. Now we've got this, this intense prayer gathering, like people are praying and fasting, seeking God. And, and the, the call of the Holy Spirit was on Paul and Barnabas. But they didn't go alone. They continued to bring along this young man that was with them. And so God's call in their life meant he was along for the ride. Now we move into chapter 13 a little bit more. They arrive, they do some ministry, and they're preparing to set out again to another place. And there's just this simple little thing that we could miss in verse 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now we're not given more than just that simple explanation. Was he sick? Uh, did he... You know, was he discouraged in some way? Did he, did, he, did he have a falling out with somebody? Like, we don't know the specifics of the story, but we know that this journey that he was meant to be a part of, he came along, he started out, and then along the way here, he stopped and he returned home. Well, the story doesn't end there. Some time passes. This, this serving and ministry journey is complete. So they wrap up their time traveling around and establishing these churches, bringing the gospel into these communities. And so they end up returning to Jerusalem. There's another visit there. And then Paul and Barnabas return for a season to their home base again in Antioch. And I want you to see, you to see what happens in Acts 15, verses 35 through 41. So Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So that journey that they had gone on, they've returned and now it's been a while. And they're like, let's go back and check in on these people whose lives we've invested in and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Barnabas like, hey, let's bring this young man along again. And Paul's like, hold on a second, that dude bailed on us. I'm not interested in bringing this guy along. I'm interested in someone who's gonna be committed and gonna show up and fulfill their responsibility. And so they're, they're hashing this situation out. It gets so heated, verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. How sharp was the disagreement? So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. Why this story? If I'm trying to encourage and motivate you to be a disciple and to make disciples, why share a story that seems like kind of a mess? Like a young disciple who's flaky and leaves, a couple of veteran followers of the faith who can't even work out a disagreement, so they split up, like their relationship has this wedge in it? Why, why this story? I think it's important to go into discipleship relationships 
with honesty, with our eyes wide open to the reality that we are dealing with real people in a real world and there will be difficulties. Jesus chose 12 and one of them betrayed him to his death. Yet Jesus didn't question his strategy. He didn't question his his investment in the lives of those guys. And listen, it's easy to point at Judas as like the failure, but like they all bailed on the biggest night of his life. Peter to the point of like denying he'd ever even met him because he was intimidated by a girl around a bonfire. I don't want to sugarcoat this and say it's an easy road investing in people's lives. But I also want to say it's good and it's worth it and it pays off in the long run. So I've got five observations. We're just going to kind of briefly hit each of these. Five observations that I want to reflect on from this story. And I'd encourage you, Maybe all five of these will will enrich you. Maybe there's one or two in particular you just really need to hear this morning. But just kind of invite the Holy Spirit to to put his his finger on what you need to hear this morning. But the first thing I want to say before we get into some of the negative things that happened is is just some cool stuff that we see in this set of stories. So the first thing I, I notice is discipleship is a group effort. It's a group effort. Over and over and over again, the story we see Groups of people gathered. They're investing in each other. They're, they're strate- strategically thinking and praying about how can we reach people. This wasn't just like one guy by himself was like, I'm going to go start a ministry and do some stuff on my own. Like even as Paul is being sent out, it's a group effort. A group of people are praying with him about where to go, who should go. He goes as a team, like in every instance, he goes with Barnabas and they bring along John Mark. There's others that would travel with him, like always traveling with people. I want you to see Paul wrote about this to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, chapter two, verses one and two. Paul believed in this so much. He didn't just practice it himself. He encouraged others that he was investing in to do the same. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Look at the communal aspect of this. He says, Timothy, when I was investing in you, I did it in front of a lot of witnesses. This was a group effort. Like, yes, I invested in you, but like the church invested in you. The body of believers invested in you. And now I'm encouraging you to pour into others who will pour into others. Same idea, carry this thing forward. Now this might seem obvious, but but friends, discipleship is meant to be a group effort. Like as a church body, what does that mean for us? Like my hope is that on some level, we all buy into this and figure out how do I participate? Like there is a reason why we have approached starting this church with a very specific um, direction. There's a reason we don't do a lot of big kind of public, how do we get a bunch of people in here to just show up on a Sunday or at a big event? It's not because we don't want to reach Knoxville. 
We want to invest in people who will turn around and invest in people. And collectively, we are reaching our community for Christ because we're investing in people's lives for the long haul. It's a group effort. Do we, do we buy into that? Do I recognize the ways, like it, it kind of blows me away when I stop and reflect about the people here in the body and the time that has been invested by people who have real jobs that take a lot of time and families that take a lot of time. And yet they invest in the life of the church. They open their homes. They, they commit their time. They pray. This thing that we do isn't like, hey, Pastor Jake moved to Knoxville and he preaches and some people like to hear it so they come to this church. Forget that. That's not what we're here for. This isn't to build my thing. And guess what? That's not what we're doing. We are here because people are investing their lives in God's kingdom. They believe in discipleship. You guys can, you probably already know very quickly, top of mind, if I was just to say, forget Crystal and Alex for a minute, forget me for a minute, who in this church has invested in your life and touched you in a significant way? Start thinking about the people, the names, the homes that you've been in. And listen, I realize some of you are maybe new here and you're just kind of coming into this community, but I want you to think about what does it look like to recognize discipleship is a group effort even with John Mark. Like he wasn't just invested in by one person, like Peter poured into him. Barnabas, Paul, all of them like touched this young man's life. Like, thanks be to God, I can point to people like that in my life. My parents invested in me for years and still do. I can point to people who've invested in my life big time over the years. Pastor Dave Buring is one of them, but he's one of several. It's, he's not the only one like several really faithful people who've invested in my life. I'm grateful for that. Listen, the church as a whole was committed to discipleship. I mean, this leads into point number two. Just consider the time they spent in prayer and fasting regarding this issue. So observation number two, not only is discipleship a group effort, discipleship takes prayer. It takes prayer. Before we get into strategies tactics, being equipped with certain tools to do it well, discipleship takes prayer. I'm going to reread to you Acts 13 verses two and three. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Part of what's powerful about this is it's not unique to the story in Acts. Go read through Acts and over and over again, we're seeing prayer gatherings like this, where people are committing themselves before they take one step forward to accomplish some mission, some goal, some work for the Lord, before they sit down with their whiteboard to strategize out how they're gonna take over their city or dream up their cool little outreach program. No, what they did was they got together and they spent time with the Lord. It was sacrificial. Anybody here ever fasted? Yeah. 
It's not fun. It's, it, it's rewarding. There's some sweet things that come out of it, but like, I like to eat. Eating's good. <laughs> Fasting is not fun. But like they recognized that to, to invest in people's lives, to, to accurately communicate with our words and our actions who Jesus is, that's hard. To hang in there with people through the ups and downs of life, that is hard. And so, yeah, a little bit of sacrifice to fast and pray, that's nothing compared to the sacrifice of investing in people. And so, man, if, if you're gonna commit your life to pouring into other people's lives, what, what you ought to realize really quickly is you're gonna need some help. If there's one thing I have realized over the years as a husband, as a father, now as someone planting a church, like, man, I, I am ill-equipped for this. <laughs> like, I need help. And, and I've actually had a lot poured into me and I still feel really ill-equipped to do this. But see, Jesus loves it when we recognize that. He can use that. Somebody who goes, Lord, I'll, I'll give you what I have. Skills I've acquired, experiences I've learned, your word that's been poured into me. But God, what I need most of all is your presence in my life. Listen, the, the power of the story that unfolds in the book of Acts, it really boils down to two things. Discipled people were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it people who had been invested in over years by Jesus himself, who had been taught and equipped and encouraged, who'd gone through all kinds of ups and downs, but they had been poured into, were then filled with the presence of God. The first missionary moment, the first discipleship moment was at Pentecost. And that came out of what? Prayer. Prayer people refusing to take one step forward before they had stopped and prayed and sought God's presence and power. In fact, Jesus told them, don't you even think about starting the Great Commission until you wait for the Holy Spirit. Like he, he gave them like the ultimate locker room speech, right? Matthew 28, we've read it a bunch of times this year. Go into all the world, make disciples. Here's how you do it. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've taught you. And hey, I'm with you. Even at the end of the age, I'll be with you through it all. Like they, they had, right, that motivation. And he goes, now, don't go anywhere. Wait and pray until the Holy Spirit shows up. See, for, I believe for many of us, like perhaps one of the reasons we don't step into discipling other people is we feel ill-equipped. But because of God's presence in you and with you, you've got what you need. You need to keep growing. You need to keep learning, but you do that in community. And so discipleship is a group effort and discipleship takes prayer. Number three, seems like a simple observation, but man, it's, it's massive because we can all do this. Observation number three, just disciple as you go. Disciple as you go. 
See, Paul and Barnabas, they had some specific missions and callings, like we're, we're to go to that place or that region or these cities, and we're going to share the gospel, and we're going to try to establish churches. Like, they had a very specific job, goal, mission. But they didn't just do that mission. They did it with people coming alongside. They discipled as they went. Hey, John Mark, we need somebody to like take down some notes, write some letters, help, help kind of just serve and make this happen. Hey, can you work out the arrangements of where we're going to sleep, what we're going to eat? Hey, you come start investing in some of these people. You see how we're leading these Bible studies and praying together. Like they brought him along. And so as they went about their calling, their mission, they just discipled as they went. Friends, not, this, not only are we not all called to go into quote-unquote full-time ministry, it's actually good that we all don't because that would remove us from some of the very places that God wants us to be active. Like he's given you a specific job. He's given you children in your home. He's placed you with certain neighbors around you. Like, like God has uniquely positioned all of us in different places right here in Knoxville. There, there are people that you can reach and should reach that I can't. God's uniquely placed you there. And so we disciple as we go. We make disciples and we show other people how to make disciples just as we go. And so one of the things I think is really healthy to, to consider is just like, what does my day look like? What does my week look like? What things uniquely happen in like a month's time? Are there key moments throughout my year? And, and what are ways that I can disciple as I go along the way? A couple of just pictures here um, from this story. Acts 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Like, it, it seems like such a throwaway verse, right? Like, okay, I mean, get to the real meat of the story, right? But as Luke's recording this, he thought it was important to note how these guys were approaching their everyday walk. John Mark's with them. It, it would be well worth the next time you find yourself reading through the book of Acts to just pay attention to who tags along. Just pay attention to that. In fact, Barnabas first shows up as like, you, you could almost miss it. In Acts 4, when the church is growing and people are starting to like share the different things they have, they're selling pieces of property and things and bringing the money. It just, it just slips Barnabas in there as one of the guys who made a huge financial sacrifice and contributed. See, it just started in a simple way. He met Jesus. He was a part of the church community. He felt compelled to give. So it just started with a financial sacrifice. Here's a practical, tangible way I can participate in this. And then before we know it, we blink and Barnabas is moving powerfully and investing in the lives of other people. And in fact, in the same way that him and Paul are bringing other people along, Barnabas is the one who went and sought Paul out and said, come with me to Antioch. Barnabas initially is the one that brought Paul along. Little steps, little moments. And before we get into what we're about to address, the, the hard thing that happens at the end of this story, but just again, take note. I love these guys right here. In Acts 15, even as they're, 
as they're having this like falling out over John Mark specifically, I want you to see something. Think about the relational component of this. Paul is frustrated with John Mark. Barnabas is now frustrated with Paul. In fact, they're frustrated with each other. So relationships are fracturing. So they just go, forget this thing. Forget investing in people who are just making this more difficult and getting in the way. Just forget it. No. In fact, even in the midst of their disagreement, watch what they're still both committed to. Second half of verse 39. So they split and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. I'm committed to investing. And so Mark, you come with me. And did Paul go away mad on his own? Nope. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. Even when things went sideways, even when it got difficult, neither of them considered going alone. That's convicting. You get around church circles long enough and I can tell you some relationships are gonna go sideways and it's gonna be real tempting to go it alone. But even in the midst of this broken situation and this, this breakdown in relationship, they still recognized the value in discipling as we go. And so I'm not walking alone. I love, you, you see this, like even in Paul's letters, like if you read through some of those letters to the churches, there's always this portion he reaches in the letter where it just starts to get really personal. And he starts mentioning specific people by name in the place where he's writing the letter to them. And he also mentions the people who are with him, working, serving. So observation number four. So far, these have been encouraging, right? Discipleship's a group effort. Discipleship takes prayer. Disciple as you go. Number four, discipleship is messy because relationships are challenging. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Not the most encouraging thing to agree with, but it, it's true. Discipleship is messy because relationships are challenging. I know we've, we've referenced it, but let me just read it again. Acts 15, 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. That's not just a simple passing line. There's a lot of weight to that one little sentence. You ever been in a situation like that where there was such a sharp disagreement that you separated? I've lived it, I've watched it, I've experienced it. It can be devastating. It can be devastating. And far too often in our present day, we walk away from relationships, we walk away from the church, some even walk away from the Lord as a result of hurt and broken relationships. Friends, I'm, I'm sorry to have to say this to you if you haven't experienced this, but sadly, this is a reality of investing in people. In fact, if we love people enough to spend real time with them, 
We're almost guaranteed when we invest in people in that way, we'll get hurt along the way. It doesn't mean all relationships will separate and end. In fact, part of the beauty of what Jesus has taught us is how to make it through some of those hard things, to repent, to forgive. But listen, some of the biggest hurt I've had in my life, not even some of it, I think all of it has come from people that are the closest to me. Like probably the person I've hurt the most in my life is my wife. I love her. I care for her. She cares for me. But we, we hurt each other at times. It's messy. And so, so wow, so I just leave you there? Like, it's messy. No, listen, a few points here of how we handle this, how we walk through this. The first thing I want to say to you is don't write people off. A moment or even a season where things are breaking down or they're falling apart or they're really hard, that's not the end of the story. Don't write people off. See, it would be easy to like look at this story and step back and for me to tell you like, let me tell you who was right and who was wrong here. All right, Barnabas is right. Paul's wrong. He's a jerk. There are two regular people who love God who feel really committed to making a difference in the world, and they just had a different viewpoint on how to handle this circumstance with this young man. And so the thing we can learn from Barnabas in this story is don't write people off. Barnabas is like, yeah, I know he bailed, but like his story isn't over yet. Man, he's a young guy. He made a mistake. He wants to go on this journey again. Let's give him a second chance. Friends, we're gonna have to extend grace to people along the way. And thank God for that because people have extended grace to me. Like when I get really frustrated and disappointed with people, I'm very aware of their failures. I tend to forget all of mine. This takes a lot of grace. Don't write people off. Don't write people off. And so Barnabas didn't. In fact, I think it's pretty cool. Like Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. Like he went by another name and it was the church that started calling him Barnabas. Like that name means son of encouragement. It's like his nickname. They're like, dude, you're just so encouraging. Like that's what we're calling you now. It takes some Barnabases along the way. Don't write people off. But listen, there's something we can learn from Paul. If we're gonna be in discipleship relationships, we're gonna invest in people's lives. Guess what? Commitment is important. And Paul understood that and he recognized it. Like we got to faithfully show up for people. We, we got we to stick this out. We got to commit. Discipleship isn't like, oh, that sounds like a cool little fun program or Bible study. I'll jump in on that. And, you know, three weeks into the 12 week thing, you're kind of already drifting and out. Or even you finish the 12 week thing and then you're just done. It's like, no, this is a, this is a commitment to invest in people over the long haul. And that commitment is important. It takes both things. It takes both things. Don't write people off, but be committed. And then the last thing I just want to say, guys, is don't give up on discipleship due to disappointment. And that's something Barnabas and Paul both got right. I already referenced this, but like they didn't give up on discipleship because this one in particular relationship went sideways. They both stuck with it. Barnabas stuck with John Mark. Paul invested in Silas. He invested in Timothy and others. They didn't give up on it because of disappointment. They hung in there. 
Friends, let's hang in there. And that leads me to my last point this morning, number five. Friends, failure isn't final. I'm gonna say that again. Failure isn't final. In fact, it's an important teacher. Not only is failure not final, it is an important teacher. Some of the most important moments in our own lives and in the lives of other people that we're gonna invest in is gonna be what happens on the other side of failure. Barnabas did not give up on John Mark and failure wasn't the final story. I want you to see this kind of in closing here. Years later, we see in the scripture that Paul has been reconciled to John Mark. He's been reconciled to him. And in his letter to Philemon, verse 24, he specifically references John Mark and lists him among fellow workers. So they weren't just relationally reconciled, they were working alongside each other in ministry again. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. They reconciled. Not only that, when Paul is in prison and writing 2 Timothy, that last letter to Timothy, and he's got a good sense that he's winding down to the end of his race and what's ahead of him. And as he's in prison and he writes this letter to Timothy, notice this, 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, I'm here in prison. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. As he's in prison in his last days, this relationship has been so reconciled that he's like, I wanna see him, bring him for a visit. Not only did their relationship get reconciled, but I want you to see something really cool. This, this young man, John Mark, that we've been talking about, he's the same guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. We have one of the four gospels because people didn't give up on this young man. They didn't give up on him. And now we have one of the gospels and he didn't give up. He didn't look at his moment of failure or weakness as the end of the story. In fact, my belief is that in hindsight, he was really aware of his failures and God's grace through it. See Mark's gospel. It's like, it's very, it's very small and direct and simple and like, Almost everything in it you also see in some of the other gospels. But one of the unique stories in Mark's gospel that is not in any of the other gospels happens on the night that Jesus was arrested. In the midst of Jesus being arrested, Mark records this very simple little moment that night about a young man's fear and failure during Jesus' arrest. Check this out, Mark 14, 51 and 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Most people believe that Mark was writing about himself. That he too on that night got scared, got afraid and ran. And then fast forward a little bit of time later and he goes on a mission, missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And what does he do? He heads back home. How easy it would have been for him to just be marked as a flaky quitter failure. And now as he's writing this gospel, 
He records his own story of failure because it is a story of the grace of God in his life. God hadn't given up on him. And faithful people who followed Jesus hadn't given up on him. And they invested in this young man. And he went from being a young man who would run away in fear to would boldly proclaim the mission of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He gave testimony. That's John Mark. How cool is that? Friends, discipleship is important. My prayer is that we would all catch a vision for this and that through the ups and downs of investing in people's lives, we'd hang in there. God's doing stuff. He's doing good, redemptive work. And even some of the hardest seasons of investing in the lives of others can produce something really powerful and fruitful because God's best work is when he's redeeming things. Some of his very best work. I want to close by just giving you some thoughts similar to what I gave you at the beginning. I want to encourage you to consider how you're going to be committed to discipleship in this current season of your life. Just consider that. You can do this as simply as looking at 2023 coming up and just think about these two words, who and how. Who and how. Who, Who am I going to be investing in? this next season of my life. How am I going to go about that? How am I going to be intentional to do that? As I mentioned before, for some of you, that might mean, hey, I need to be discipled. Cool. Who are you going to seek out to learn from, to be around? How are you going to make time for that? It's going to be a sacrifice. How are you going to carve out time to spend time with that person or that group that you may grow? or if God's prompting you to invest in some other people, who is he highlighting to you that's already right there that you can be investing in? And how are you gonna go about that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for stories of of flawed but faithful people like this. God, thank you that in your word, we see real people, like you don't sugarcoat it. We see real people going through the ups and downs of relationships, their own moments of failure, their frustration with each other. Lord, we thank you that above it all, you are the ultimate faithful one, that you don't give up on people, that you are committed to us. God, may we be people who have committed ourselves to investing in others. Lord, may we be a part of a community that values this, that makes it important. God, would we be prayerful about who you're calling us to invest in and how we can go about it? Lord, give us us just clear vision on how we can do this as we go. And Lord, we pray just even in the midst of this, God, that we wouldn't get discouraged along the way and give up when it's difficult, when it's messy, when other people fail or we fail them. God, thank you that you don't give up on us. Help us to steward our relationships well and hang in there for the long haul. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.